You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Bhutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. I'm pretty sure I've told you before about the Sunday school teacher who, who asked the kids in her class, she said, now kids, if, if I sold my house and I sold my car and I gave all of that money to the church, would that make me good enough to go to heaven? And, and in unison, all the kids chanted back and said, no. And she said, okay, well, well if, if I feed the poor every day and, and I help widows and, and, and orphans, would that make me good enough to go to heaven? And again, they chanted back and said, no. And so then she said, well, then, then what do you need to do to go to heaven? And one little boy looked up and said, well, you got to die if you want to go to heaven. <laughs> Well, now, in a sense, that, that, that's the very question that, that the Apostle Paul is tackling this morning here in Galatians chapter 3. Uh, it, really, the question is this, you know, when you were saved, were you saved by faith or were you saved by works? In other words, do you, do you work your way to heaven or do you believe your way to heaven? Because, you know, there, there are many who tend to think that, that you know, you've got to do something uh, to, uh, to, to be good enough to go to heaven. So, you know, maybe you think you've got to go to church or, or you've got to get baptized or you've got to take communion or you've got to do this ritual or that ceremony or this custom. You've got to do these things. And, and you think that as long as your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you'll be good enough to go to heaven. Well, the Apostle Paul answers that question this morning by using Abraham as an illustration. In fact, as he's using Abraham as an illustration, he's going to show us three truths this morning. In fact, if you're taking notes, let me give you those three truths right now. Truth number one that Paul shows us is that Abraham was saved by faith. Even Abraham was saved by faith. And then truth number two, we'll put these up on the screen, is that anyone can be saved by faith. If Abraham himself was saved by faith, well, then anyone can be saved by faith. And then truth number three is that faith has always been the requirement for salvation. And that's true. Whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, faith has always been the requirement for salvation. These are the three truths that the Apostle Paul is going to give us here in Galatians chapter 3. But first, as we, as we go back uh, and look at the first five verses, Paul broaches the, 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 you know, the, the subject. He, he brings up the question, you know, of, 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 you know, when you were saved, were you saved by works or were you saved by faith? And so again, he says in verse one, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works of miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? I don't know about you, but, but I, 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 I like that when Paul starts this section, he starts with a degree of snark. Something you need to know about me is I kind of like it when, it, when, when, when you know, things are a little snarky. <laughs> you know, so, so Paul starts off in verse 1, and he's, you know, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? In fact, I love the way that John, or the J.B. Phillips translation captures this. In, in the J.B. Phillips translation, it says, Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, surely you can't be so idiotic. A little bit of Chef Gordon Ramsay in that, right? Like one occasion I see you know, Gordon Ramsay, he's like, you know, are you always this pathetic? How do you answer a question like that? Uh, no, not, not always. Uh, or yeah, no, I always, either way, you're pathetic. And so Paul starts off and he's like, you know, oh, foolish Galatians. 
Uh, and by the way, the, the word foolish, it's just a word that means that, 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 that you've stopped engaging your mind. It means that, that you've stopped thinking. In, in other words, the, 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 it, it's a sense that, you know what, someone has, has, you know, they have stopped thinking for themselves and someone else is doing the thinking for them. Then he even adds the word bewitched. He says, you know, who has bewitched you? Literally, it could be rendered, you know, who's cast a spell on you? Who's, who's mystified you? Uh, you know, uh, the idea is that, you know, there are some uh, speakers who, who are so dynamic and so captivating. I mean, you won't find them here, but, but there's some public speakers who are just so captivating and so dynamic that, that it's almost as if the audience is spellbound while they're listening to them. In fact, they used to say of Adolf Hitler that, that Hitler had an ability to cast a spell on thousands of people while he was speaking publicly. They were just captivated. They were just mystified. And so Paul's kind of saying the same thing. He's saying, you know what? This group called the Judaizers that came into Galatia, this, this group of Judaizers, man, they were great public speakers. They were so convincing and they were so captivating that people by the thousands were being spellbound and they literally stopped thinking for themselves and were letting the Judaizers do the thinking for them. So then in verse two, Paul says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And by the way, that's a rhetorical question. In other words, the answer's in the question, kind of like a grilled cheese sandwich, the recipe's in the name, right? And so it's a rhetorical question. You know, and, and so he said, you know, did, were, did, were you, you, know, were you, did you receive the Spirit by works or, or, or by faith? The answer obviously is by faith, not by works. Now, it's weird, you know, I don't know about you, but I've seen this pattern with, with, with many, many Christians over the years where, you know, they, they start off, you know, in the spirit. They start off with a simple relationship with Jesus, but then over time, they add to it. They, they complicate it. You know, somebody tells them along the line, oh, hey, you got to do this, you got to try that. I'm like, ooh, I never heard of that. Tell me more. And so then the person's like, oh, yeah, you know, if you want to be really spiritual, you got to do this, and, and you got to add that, and you got to do these things. In fact, you know, I, I, or, or maybe they, they found some, some new truth and, and they're on this new kick or, or, or maybe, maybe it's not a new truth, it's just an overemphasis of, of a certain truth and now they've kind of perverted that truth because they put too much emphasis on it. And so now they're running around and they're telling you, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. In fact, you know, I, 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 you know I've seen this happen over the years where you know, some, somebody will, uh, you know, a well-intentioned Christian all of a sudden converts and becomes uh, a messianic uh, Jew. They convert to messianic Judaism. Now listen, by the way, it's, it's one thing to, you know, for, for a Jewish person to accept Jesus as their savior, to accept Jesus as their Messiah. We call that a, a messianic Jew, right? Now, by the way, I remember the first time I went to Israel back in 1997, we met some, some J Jewish Christians, but they didn't call themselves messianic Jews. They called themselves completed Jews, because they believed that, that Jesus was the completion, that Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament. That everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus and Jesus fulfilled that. So they were completed Jews because they believed in Jesus who completed all of it. But it, nevertheless, you know, when, when a Jewish person believes in Jesus, that's a wonderful thing. But you know, it's a completely different thing when some Swedish American blonde hair with blue eyes all of a sudden thinks he's going to be more spiritual if he converts to Judaism and converts uh, to, you know, to this and, and, and becomes, you know, tries to become Jewish. Now, by the way, let me just say that, you know, 
that, that it, it is a wonderful thing to study our Jewish roots as Christians. You know, listen, I mean, our, our Savior, Jesus, is Jewish. Our scriptures are Jewish. And so it's a wonderful thing to study our Jewish roots because the more we understand our Jewish roots, the more we're going to understand our Christian faith. I mean, that's why week after week I get up here and I, and I, and I explain the culture and I explain the background and I give you the history. Because, because it opens up so much understanding. But at the same time, there are some who, who, who in an attempt to, to connect with their Jewish roots to their Christian faith, they start to put themselves under bondage to the, to the law. And they start running around, well, you know what? You, you've got to keep this custom. You've got to keep this ritual. And you've got to do this and, and eat this way. And In fact, I remember years ago when I, when I, was, when I was in my 20s, this was like five years ago, um, <laughs> So, but I remember years ago, uh, I was at this home Bible study, and there's another guy just a little bit older than me, and he starts getting caught up in this. And so one day, he invites me to breakfast over at Denny's. Have not eaten at Denny's since. But uh, he, you know, he invites me over you know, for breakfast, and, 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 and he starts telling me you know, about this new thing he's in, into and, and all that. And then he tells me, quote, you cannot truly be saved if you're not keeping the law of Moses. By the way, I should add that with his uh, eggs, he also had bacon and ham. But, you know, anyway... Um, Hypocrite, table five. But, you know, he says, you, know you, you, you cannot be saved, he says, if you're not keeping the law of Moses. And he was on this kick. And by the way, wasn't that the same thing that these Judaizers that we've been talking about for the last three, four, five weeks, this group of Judaizers, wasn't that the same thing they were telling the, the Galatians to do? Telling them, look, you can't really be saved unless you keep the law of Moses. Now, by the way, I've also seen the same thing with, with so-called Calvinism. You know, I've seen, you know, uh, people who, who get, get, get saved from some, from some of the craziest backgrounds. You know, they, they go to a church service, they hear the gospel, they, they come forward for an altar call, they pray to receive Jesus, and now they're so excited about Jesus, just on fire, and, and they're sharing the gospel with anyone and everyone who will listen until one day someone else tur- turns them on to, to, to certain things of Calvinism, like, like maybe predestination or, or limited atonement or this or that, and, and now all of a sudden, they're no longer excited about the gospel. All they want to do is argue. They just want to argue with other Christians about this and, and about that. And, and, and they're no longer excited about the gospel. Why? Because now they, they no longer believe that Jesus died for the whole world. They just believe di- Jesus died for uh, the, the, the elect, a certain few. And so they, you know, they started simple with a simple relationship with Jesus. They started in the spirit, but now they're trying to continue and perfect themselves in the flesh. And so that's what Paul's kind of confronting. And, and so now to deal with that, he uses an object lesson, uh, an illustration. He uses Abraham as his illustration. And so now in verses 6 and 7, he illustrates that, that even Abraham was saved by faith. And so in verse 6, he says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it was th- those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now, what's interesting, by the way, is that in between verses 6 through 14, the Apostle Paul will quote six different Old Testament scriptures uh, to to basically show that that the whole world, not just the Jews, but the whole world, even the Gentiles themselves, were saved by faith. That the whole world is saved by faith. And I mentioned to you at at the beginning of our message that that Paul's going to show us three things. Number one, he's going to show us that Abraham was saved by faith. He's going to show us that right now. But then number two, he's going to show us that anyone is saved by faith. And number three, he's going to show us that faith has always been the requirement for salvation. 
So first he starts with Abraham. He says, he says even Abraham was saved by faith. He points that out in verse 6 again by saying, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You have to understand that, that the Jews, uh, they, they took great pride in, in, in calling themselves the sons of Abraham. Now in the Bible, uh, Abraham's called the friend of God. And likewise, the Bible says that Abraham was righteous. And so therefore, because they were, were the sons of Abraham, well, they saw themselves as, as, as being the friends of God as well, and they saw themselves as being righteous before God as well. It's almost as if they thought that they inherited Abraham's righteousness because they were the sons of Abraham. Now, for them, it was, it was all about circumcision. Remember, way back in Genesis chapter 17, God is, is, to, is, is entering into a covenant with Abraham. And to, and to seal the covenant, he has Abraham get circumcised. And, and then, as, his, as Abraham's descendants, as sons of Abraham, to this day, the Jewish people will still uh, be, be circumcised. And it, it's a part of that covenant. It, it's part of their external way of showing that they themselves are sons of Abraham, that they themselves are Jewish. But here, Paul is actually quoting from an Old Testament scripture to show that, that Abraham was not considered righteous because he got circumcised. Rather, Abraham was considered righteous because he believed God, because he had faith. For example, back in Genesis chapter 15, we read of a time where, where Abraham is in the midst of this battle with several different kings, and, and he wonders if he's going to make it out alive. And so God speaks to him and, and tells him and assures him that he will make it out alive. In fact, he says, Abraham, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. And then in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, uh, it says, Then he brought him outside and said to him, Look toward the heaven and count the stars if, if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. In other words, God was saying, listen, Abraham, not only are you going to make it out alive, not only are you going to survive this, but you're going to live long enough to have a son. In fact, not only are you going to have a son, you're going to have so many descendants, you're actually going to be the father of an entire nation. And then on the heels of that, it says in Genesis 15, verse 6, and it says, and he believed in the Lord and he was accounted, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Now, that's the verse that Paul's quoting here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, when he says he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, listen, when Abraham believed God, when Abraham was made righteous, you have to realize that in Genesis chapter 15, he wasn't a Jew yet. He doesn't become a Jew until Genesis chapter 17. So what this means is, is, that, is that at the moment when he became righteous, when he believed God, he was still a, a pagan from the land of Ur in Canaan. And then 14 years later in Genesis chapter 17, that's when God makes a covenant with Abraham and Abraham gets circumcised. And so Abraham was not made righteous by circumcision. No, Abraham was made righteous by faith. And then 14 years later, after he believed, then he gets circumcised. Think of it like this. Circumcision made him Jewish. Faith made him righteous. Circumcision made him Jewish, but his faith is what made him righteous. And there's 14 years between the two. First he believed. First he was made righteous. 14 years later, he became Jewish. And so he says, even Abraham was saved by faith. And now as we continue in verses 8 and 9, he goes on to say, if Abraham was saved by faith, well then 
anyone can be saved by faith. Verse 8, he says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Pause there. In my Bible, I underline that, and the reason for that is, you know, sometimes you might meet somebody who says, well, the gospel, uh, you know, didn't come in, until the New Testament. Or they might say, you know, the gospel didn't come until the time of, of the Apostle Paul. That's not true. Because the, the Apostle Paul himself just wrote these words. He said that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. Thousands of years before the Apostle Paul, the gospel was already preached to Abraham the forefather of the Jews, even before there were were Jewish people, their forefather heard the gospel. It was preached before him to Abraham. And it goes on saying, in you shall all nations be blessed. So then, those, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So now, when he, when he says, in you all the nations shall be blessed. That is his second quote from the Old Testament. I told you he quotes six different passages from the Old Testament. This is number two. He's actually quoting from Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. So again, Paul's first point was that Abraham was saved by faith, not by works. And so in the same way, anyone else is saved by faith and not by works. And that not only applies to the Jews, that also applies to the Gentiles. It's the whole world. The whole world is saved by faith. You might think of it this way. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 is sort of the Old Testament equivalent to John 3, 16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Not just God so loved the Jews. No, God loved the whole world, Jew and non-Jew alike. Now, the reason I bring that up is because there, there is a fringe group in, in, in modern-day Christianity that teaches a doctrine called hyper-dispensationalism. don't mean to bore you with, you know, two hours of seminary, but uh, uh, hyper-dispensationalism. Uh, you know, uh, a, few, a few weeks back, somebody wrote in a question, you know, in our, in our e-bulletin that we send out on Fridays, there's a little button that says, ask a pastor a question. Well, somebody clicked it, and they sent me this question. They said, what in the world is hyper-dispensationalism? So for whoever you are, here's the answer to your question. Now, first of all, let me say that, that, that dispensationalism is a good thing, but hyper-dispensationalism is a very bad thing. Now, what is hyper-dispensationalism? Well, it's this doctrine that teaches that, that, that only the Apostle Paul was preaching the actual gospel. They would say that only the Apostle Paul was preaching that you're saved by grace and by faith alone. In fact, they would say all the other apostles, like, like Peter and James and John and the rest of them, they preached a, a mixed gospel. A gospel of grace plus law. Grace plus keeping the works of the law. Kind of sounds like the Judaizers we've been talking about for the last several weeks, right? Now, this group that teach hyper-dispensationalism, they would basically tell you that in the Old Testament, you were saved by keeping the law, saved by works, but in the New Testament, specifically under Paul, you're saved by grace and by faith alone. Here's the problem with that. It's just not true. The truth of the matter is that when you read the whole Bible from cover to cover, you're going to discover that, that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament alike, there's always only ever been one way to be saved, and that's by grace and faith alone. For example, we go to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, the very first book of the Bible. It says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, Noah wasn't saved by his works. He wasn't saved by what he did. He was saved because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
And because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, uh, God told Noah to build this ark. And yes, he, he, he obeyed the Lord, and by faith he stepped out and built the ark, and, and, and he got in it, and he and his whole family were saved. But the reason he was saved is because God, he, he, I'm sorry, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. He was saved by grace. And likewise, we, we, we talked about Abraham. We already talked about how, how Abraham was saved by faith, how, how it was accredited to him as righteousness. And then there's Isaac. Listen, God chose Isaac over Ishmael because of grace. In fact, the same was true of Jacob. Remember Jacob and Esau? You know, and by the way, the name Jacob means heel catcher. Why? Well, because he was always scheming and always conniving and always kind of lying and pulling tricks on people, doing anything he could to get ahead. And, and yet God chose Jacob over his brother Esau. Jacob wasn't chosen because of, 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 of what he did. He wasn't chosen because he was so righteous, because of all the righteous works. I just told you, he was a conniver. He was a schemer. And yet God chose him anyway. Why? Grace. And then likewise, for that matter, the entire nation of Israel, God chose them by grace. He chose the nation of Israel to be his chosen nation, his, his, his tool, his, his instrument to, to show the whole world who God was, but he chose them out of grace. In fact, on one occasion, the, the, the Jewish people themselves were, were asking the very question, why in the world did God choose us? Out of all the people to choose, why did he choose us? And so God answers the question in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, and it says, The Lord did not choose you and lavish his love on you because you were, because you were larger and greater than other nations. In other words, because you're so great and you're so wonderful. He says, no, you were the smallest of all nations. It was simply because the Lord loves you. Why did he choose them? Because he loved them. It was an act of grace. And in the same way, I'm here to tell you that God chose you because he loves you. Love the way Max Lucado put it. He said, you know what? I'm here to tell you, friend. God loves you. He's crazy about you. In fact, if God had a refrigerator in heaven, your picture would be on it. <laughs> and so he tells us that Abraham himself was saved by faith. And because of that, anyone can be saved by faith. And now as we, as we look at these last few verses, verses 10 through 14, we come to our third lesson, and that is that faith has always been the requirement for salvation. So in verse 10, Paul says again, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who, who's hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Again, what's the point of this? The point is, is that faith has always been the requirement of salvation whether it's the Old or the New Testament. And so to illustrate that, now Paul gives us his third and his fourth quote from the Old Testament scriptures. For example, when you go back to the end of, of verse 10, he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. He's quoting, and, and it says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. And, and then later, at the end of verse 11, he then quotes uh, from, from, from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, where it says that the righteous shall live by faith. 
Let's break those down. Now, first of all, I, I told you he's quoting from Deuteronomy 26, verse 27, at the end of verse 10, when he says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So what's Paul's point? Well, Paul's point is that, you know what? The law doesn't bring a blessing. The law brings a curse. In other words, the law doesn't bless you. The law actually condemns you unless you are absolutely 100% perfect. Anybody here perfect? Okay, just making sure I'm in the right room. Unless you're 100% perfect. Listen, I mean, if, if, if you could keep 100% of the law, 100% of the time, 24-7, 365 days of the year, every year of your life, well then, yeah, you know what? The law will bless you. But if you fail even just one little bit, the law doesn't bless you. The law condemns you, is what he's saying. You know, and sometimes you'll you hear people say, well, you know, I, 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 I like to live my life by the Ten Commandments. <laughs> so how's that working out for you? I mean, quite frankly, nowadays, quite frankly, most people can't even quote all ten of the Ten Commandments. They can't name all ten of them. You know, thou shalt not, and they're like, well, that's about it. Thou shalt not. I can't remember the rest. I mean, you, you can't even quote them, much less live by them. And by the way, do you remember what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 5? You know, Jesus, you know, uh, is basically saying, hey, if you're talking to somebody and they're like, well, you know, I, 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 you know I, I've never actually, like, you know, committed adultery or anything. Well, Jesus would say, hey, listen, if you've even so much as looked at another woman with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery in your heart. Or somebody might say, well, you know, I'm basically a good person. I've never actually, like, you know, murdered anyone. Well, Jesus would say, well, you know what? If you even had anger in your heart towards someone, you've basically committed murder in your heart. Let me put that in a way that you might understand. If you've ever driven down I-25 in the middle of rush hour, somebody's cut you off right in front of you, and then they pull out their finger to tell you you're number one, but it's like a different finger than the one that I'm using, you might have committed murder in your heart in that moment. So in other words, quite frankly, none of us are perfect. None of us have ever kept the Ten Commandments. I mean, most of us can't even name all ten of the Ten Commandments. So listen to this. If you think it's hard to keep the, the, the Ten Commandments, did you know there's much more than just Ten Commandments in the Bible? In fact, in the first five books of the Bible, there are actually 613 commandments. The Ten Commandments are just like the top ten. We can't even keep those. We can't even name them. But, but there's actually 613 commandments in the Bible. And, and most definitely, we have not kept all 613 of those commandments. And so Paul's saying, listen, there's no such thing as a perfect person. There's no such thing as a person who's actually kept every single one of the 613 commandments, has never broken one of them in a lifetime. 100% perfect, 24-7, 365 days a year, every year of their life. Outside of Jesus, that kind of person doesn't exist. He's saying, so therefore, if you're not perfect, the law doesn't bless you, it condemns you. And then after that, then Paul, at the end of verse 11, then quotes Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, where he says, the righteous shall live by faith. It's not by keeping the law. It's not by keeping all 613. It's by faith. But what we see here is that even way back in the Old Testament times, hundreds and hundreds of year before, years before the Apostle Paul was even born, we see that, 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 that it's not keeping the law that makes you righteous, it's faith that makes you righteous. And then at the end of verse, I'm sorry, then in verse 12, the whole verse, in verse 12 he says, but the law is not a faith, rather the, the one who does them shall live by them. 
Now he's, he's quoting his fifth uh, Old Testament scripture, and this is from Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. Leviticus 18, verse 5. Then after that, he quotes one more scripture where he says, Cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree, and that's Deuteronomy 21, 23. But in, 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 in verse 12, when he says that, that the law is not of faith, but rather he who does them shall live by them, what's he saying? What's he saying is this. He's saying, you know what? The law doesn't ask you to put your faith in it. The law doesn't ask you to believe. No, the, the law demands perfection. The law demands the, the, the uh, strict obedience. The law demands that you live according to every jot and tittle, every detail of the law. And if you don't, if you fail, then you're not righteous. There's condemnation in the law. If you slip up even one time, you're not righteous. That's what the law demands. Uh, you know, you may remember this old poem that, that says, do this and live, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Uh, a better word the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. You see, the gospel empowers us. The gospel enables us to do it. And so in, in the region of Galatia, now remember, uh, Galatia was not a city, it was a region of cities. A region of cities that included uh, Antioch and Lystra and Derby and, and a number of other cities, but it was a region of cities. And in that region, you, you had two different groups. On the one hand, you, you, had, you had the group of Judaizers who were saying, hey, you know what? If you want God to accept you, well, then you got to do enough good works to make yourself good enough for God to accept you. But then on the other hand, there's the Apostle Paul who was saying, you know what? There's no such thing as doing enough good works to make God to accept you. It's impossible. God will never accept you by all the good things you do. There's only one way God accepts you, and that's by faith. By faith. That's it. In fact, even Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, the activist, but Martin Luther, the monk. And Martin Luther struggled with this. Martin Luther was a monk in, 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 in an Augustinian monastery, and, 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 and he was very, very devout. In fact, in between studies, he, he would flog himself with a whip till he was black and blue and bloody. Now, he did this to discipline his flesh. In fact, anytime he had an impure thought or you know, a, a lustful thought or an angry thought or whatever it was, he would flog himself to, to discipline his flesh. In fact, he was so troubled by the idea that, that sin or sinful thoughts could keep him from going to heaven that he would go to confession multiple times a day. Every day, multiple times a day. And it got to the point that the priest in charge of confession was like, Martin, either go out and commit a sin actually worthy of confessing or stop coming. <laughs> and he was so worried that he wouldn't be good enough to go to heaven that, that on one occasion he visited Rome. This was in 1509. And, and he went to the church of, of St. Lateran. And, you know, and this is a church that claims to have the, the very steps that lead to the judgment hall of Pontius Pilate. In fact, it's still the custom to this day to, to crawl on those steps on your knees as a way to, to show your devotion to God and, and, and also discipline your flesh because everybody who crawls on those steps on their knees ends up with bloodied, battered knees. So Luther's you know, crawling up the steps. He's climbing up the steps. And then he says there was this moment where it was as if the Spirit of God was speaking to him and reminding him of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4 that says, The righteous shall live by faith. So he got up, he got off his knees, he went, he went back to his monastery back in Germany, and he studied that passage, I'm sorry, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And then he also studied Galatians chapter 3. And, and he realized that he can be righteous before God, not by righteous works, not by punishing his flesh, but by faith. Listen in the same way. 
A lot of us, like, like Luther, we tend to think that if we do enough good works, enough good things, God will consider us good enough. That's just not true. Listen, the Bible says in Isaiah 64, verse 6, all our righteousness are like filthy rags. In other words, all your good works, every good thing you did, all, all the church services you attended, uh, the, uh, the baptisms, the communion, helping people, all the rituals, all the times that you paid it forward and, and you helped the poor, all those good things, every good thing you've ever done will never, ever put you in right standing with God. It'll never make you good enough. None of those things will. Only faith will. In fact, God looks at all your righteous works, and you know what he sees? He sees nothing but filthy rags. It all falls short. It's only by faith. Listen, in the end, the time will come when you and I, we're, we're going to stand before our maker. And, and the question in that moment is not going to be, do, do, do your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds? No, the question of the moment is going to be, did you believe? Did you have faith? Does your faith, has it been accounted to you as righteousness? The Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse 5, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Likewise, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, it says, but when the kindness and the love of our God and Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's not by works, lest any one of us should boast. It's by grace and faith alone. That's how we're accepted before God. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. 